to the Barracks Podcast. Welcome to the Barracks Podcast. Featuring and Kirsten Kotsian. The views, comments, statements, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the official position of the Salvation Army. Hey, everybody. Come on in. Come on <laughs> in to the barracks. Oh, I feel like we've said that before. So, guys, this is crazy. I just was saying um, before we officially started that I'm a little... <laughs> I'm a little nervous because I feel like we haven't recorded in a while, um, but we had our Advent series that we did, and I know a lot of you guys tuned in for that, and that was really cool. Huge kudos to Kiri because that was her, what's that called? Brainchild? Brainchild. Okay. For some reason, I thought that that was a phrase, but then I double thought. Whatever. You know, Zeus had a brainchild. Athena. What? He had a headache and then he like his brother like cut his head open and Athena walked out. I didn't know that. It's <laughs> mythology. I'm not surprised that you know that though. Hashtag five. Everyone. <laughs> so wait, quick question. You guys didn't do like sixth grade was mythology year oh no i think we did that i just don't remember that detail okay Okay, well that's where the idea of brainchild came from so is it really (laughs) i don't know okay see i would believe anything if you're listening right now what we have a guest oh yeah we do but before we introduce her i really want to know if you listeners have heard of this athena thing so once you've listened you should like hashtag the barracks podcast and tell us if this is like, this is not common knowledge. People don't know this. Did you know this Roxanne? No, I didn't. Okay. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I speak Thank for you. asses. <laughs> <laughs> so now what Kiri? Two to one. One knew, two did not know. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you the fives will know. Also hashtag your Enneagram number. And then we will be able to judge you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll judge you. Great. No, no, we won't. Um, but anyway, it's good to be back to wrap this all up. It's the same Amanda and Kiri. New year, not new us. We are just the same old over here. I feel kind of new. <laughs> Do you? But I'm probably the same. Because I'm still arguing with you. Yeah, that like, has right, not changed. Like right now. That is not. <laughs> so that's the part that is the same. Yeah, it's not going to change. <laughs> anyway, so we do have a guest. Um, today our, um, I almost said article. This is not an article. Um, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. We're writing. I'm not sure. Our uh, podcast episode um, is focused on mental health and ministry. Uh, which if you've been looking at our social media, you will have seen that um, because I've been advertising for the episode. And uh, we have Roxanne on. And I'm super excited about this because Roxanne, I have known how many years? What is it? 13? Something like that. 12 or 13. Yeah. Because 2007. So very long story short, I worked at a Christian camp. in a, you know, Cedar Lake, Indiana, very small town. Um, and Roxanne was there and I met her in 2007. And that's also when I realized that I was not saved. Like I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And, um, Roxanne was there to witness and be part of my salvation experience, which is huge. And she has been a faithful, loyal friend um from that summer on um and is one of my closest friends still and um so i'm just really excited to have her and yeah i don't want to say too much because i want roxanne to kind of introduce herself and tell us more about her um so let's just dive right in uh roxanne can you tell us a bit about yourself and can you tell us your connection, connections, runabouts, whatever, with the Salvation Army? 
Yeah. Um, it's so fun to like be able to do this podcast with you because I love hearing, this is going to sound so dumb, uh, <laughs> hashtag Enneagram 4. I love hearing, <laughs> I love hearing you tell our story because <laughs> it's, it's just like makes, I, I think probably for a month after um, you had like your encounter with Jesus, I think I cried every time I thought about it. <laughs> like, it was just so sweet and like such a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, so yeah, I am not a part of the Salvation Army, but I have a few friends who are. My first encounter with the Salvation Army was, um, I want to say like back in 2004, I went to, I worked at Camp Neosa, which is a camp in Ohio. And so I worked there for their summer camp and then met some friends there that we've remained friends this like ever since as well. And, um, they serve faithfully in the Salvation Army. They're, um, stationed. That's probably not the right. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, in West Virginia now, I think. And so between them and you, uh, that's kind of my connection with the Salvation Army. Um, we did the training, the youth pastor training back in the spring. Yep. So I've had a, a few little touches here and there. Um, mm-hmm. So that's about what I know. I've been to like one of the commissioning services and things like that. Um, yeah. Just so, to kind of, I'm interrupting you quickly yeah. just because I want to expand on. So if you were at the Metro um, Divisional Youth Leaders breakfast or brunch, um, it was before the kettle season started. Um, Roxanne led that conversation. So just to kind of put a face to um, the voice, if you were, right. if you were there. But go ahead, Roxanne. Yeah. Uh, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm originally from Michigan, which is why I don't have a southern accent. <laughs> and um, I'm a therapist with the police department here in Nashville. And my primary clientele are trauma victims, victims of crime, things like that. And I'm, I have a master's in counseling. I'm working on my PhD and something different, but, um, yeah. Is that enough? Yeah, that's good. That's perfect. What PhD program are you working on? Um, it's going to be in forensic psychology. What does that mean? (laughs) Um, so it's, a lot of people think of like criminal minds and like, like murder or profiling and things like that, which is part of it if that's the route you choose to go, but that's not probably what I'll do. Um, basically is all psychology things related to like the law and court systems and things like that. So you might need a forensic psychologist if you're trying to adopt because someone will need to like determine that you're okay and safe for adoption. Um, You might need a forensic psychologist if um, there's a court case against you and they need to determine whether or not you are mentally capable of understanding what's going on and what you did and things like that. Like if you think about like the insanity plea, things like that, a forensic psychologist would help determine that. Um, and I don't really care. I'm not really interested in doing any of those things. I want the degree so I can get a better paying job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> this seemed like the most interesting. Um, yeah. Since I work with the police department, one of the classes I'll take is like police psychology and criminal psychology and things like that, which I think is interesting based on who I work for right now. So, um, that's why I went that route rather than a different type of counseling route. But yeah. That's awesome. Cool. That's really cool. I love what Roxanne does. I love being able to catch up with her and like hear her stories and just, I don't know. It's really great. Um, Diving right into the next question here. As a person who understands ministry and leadership uh, within ministry, what do you perceive as some potential dangers when it comes to emotional health and ministry? Um, I think if we're to like talk about like one general theme the whole time, 
like if I want you, if I could get you to understand one thing is that we are whole people. Like we might have broken parts of us, but we're a, a whole being. And so there's a lot of different ways you could break it down. But for our purposes here, um, you're a spiritual being, you're an emotional being, and you're a physical being. Mm-hmm. Um, that means you have spiritual needs, you have emotional needs, and you have physical needs. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, that I have experienced and also seen a lot in the church in ministry is that we really focus a lot on the spiritual needs, which is important. It is not at all to be minimized or invalidated, but we do that sometimes to the detriment of our physical and emotional needs. And so what that looks like, sometimes if we're going to like exaggerate it a little bit, it'll be like, well, the flesh is bad. I need to ignore my flesh and just Mm. have more faith. Like, yeah, but no, (laughs) like, except not like you need to keep your body alive. Like you need shelter and food and clothing and water and Mm. all that sort of thing. So, um, a lot of times we kind of ignore the physical or we ignore the emotional things and focus only on the spiritual. And that I think is where we run into like some mental health issues because we're not caring for we're denying parts of our bodies or parts of ourselves because we're a whole person. Hmm. And when that happens, we just get out of balance. So the same would be true if you only focused on your physical needs and didn't pay attention to your emotional or spiritual needs. You'd be out of balance. You're missing out and denying and invalidating parts of you that are actually very important for like, health and balance and being a whole person. Yeah. So as far as the question goes, like when it comes to ministry um, or potential dangers, I, I guess I, you can cut this part out if you want. I don't know. <laughs> like, when I, like when I hear my Salvation Army friends talk about kettles, like that oh. was a crazy busy season. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be really intentional about making sure you're taking care of your physical and emotional needs during that time and your spiritual needs during that time. You are giving and giving and giving and giving and giving Mm -hmm. so much. It's really important to fill that back up and take time to like make that a priority so you can continue to give. Yeah. Um, It's not to say that you shouldn't do kettles. Right. It's just trying to find that balance and have like know your limits, even if that limit changed this day on this, like on this day, because something big happened and you're like, okay, normally I'd be able to handle this many hours, but something happened or like, I'm emotionally not quite here right now or not really in a great place. So I actually Mm -hmm. need to like find a replacement or find a sub or something so I can take care and come back in the morning or come back the next time or whatever. So Um, When it comes to ministry, we, and rightly so, like the Bible tells us to like put each other's needs above our own, but also like we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. So like how well are you, like, are you loving yourself Hmm. in order to be able to love other people well? That's a very good point. That one got me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we know, and we've kind of talked about this in an episode or multiple episodes, I don't know, but Kettles is straight up crazy. Yeah. I mean, it is insane. Like it's everything that gets put into that, the work, the hours, the the um, effect it has on your body, on your mind, on all of the things. If you're not, if you're not taking care of yourself, like it is bad. Yeah. Like I've had kettle seasons that I don't, this is honest to God. I barely remember mm-hmm. because it feels like it was such curious laughing, but I'm serious. I can't remember two kettle seasons ago mm-hmm. because it was a lot, you yeah. know? So I hear you. That is important for us to hear for sure. Um, do you think that there are mental illnesses that are common like among specifically pastors or lay leaders in a church. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I was, I was kind of thinking about that one and I'm not really sure. I don't know that it would be 
more or less than like the general population. Mm-hmm. But I could understand, given the pressures that people in ministry have, that they might experience depression or anxiety, or um, I would even say like potentially PTSD on occasion. Uh, because there are like, if you think about like the church shootings and things like that, that have happened recently, like being a pastor in that church and having to then kind of pastor and shepherd your congregation after that, that is a big deal. So, um, I could see that coming up. I would say maybe some other, these aren't really like diagnosable issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say compassion fatigue is, um, like probably really big. And then also kind of along the lines of PTSD is vicarious trauma, which just means it's like a secondary version of trauma. So you might not be the one experiencing the divorce or um, the child who's terminally ill or whatever, but you're working with the parents or the couple that is experiencing that, or you're working with several couples or families that are experiencing really, really big things. And so then you end up kind of taking that home with you. And sometimes it can color sort of your perception of the world. Like all marriages suck (laughs) or like, yeah. um, Like, Oh, I hate going to hospitals because I remember this parishioner who died here or this congregation member who was here for years and years or whatever. And so it kind of turns up this vicarious trauma. It wasn't you weren't the one with the disease or the challenged marriage, but you were involved so deeply that it still has an impact on you. Wow. I didn't know that there was a word or like a two words, I guess, for that. That's really interesting. And I think I felt that on occasion and the compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Kiri's nodding her head. I'm sure those of us listening have experienced that too. So thank you. That was helpful. Yeah, I think that phrase vicarious trauma is really helpful. Um, <clears throat> just like thinking about, because like the situations that you described and then other like I remember in Kansas um when I first had got there we didn't have a caseworker um so I was like doing the case managing or whatever it's called but like just like meeting with people and hearing what's going on and what they needed and whether we could help and like I would get migraines every one of those days because it'd be like three hours of everything that's gone wrong for like six families right right <laughs> and then be like ah like please someone else like no mm-hmm. so, anyway yeah and that's the vicarious trauma because I feel like maybe it's even on like steroids when you're doing not just like the pastoral care which can be very mm-hmm. draining but when you are in like this helping profession mm-hmm. on top of it of like there's some deep stuff that people come in mm-hmm that's going. Yeah. So So it kind of came about with, um, if you think about like first responders, law enforcement, military personnel, like all, Mm. and I, I always lump in ministers when I talk about this group of people, because they're the ones going into the crazy situation that everyone else is trying to get out of. Mm. And so, and I mean, like doctors, would be included with that too. Like you're kind of in it when people are trying to get out of it, but they're expecting you to be the one to handle it for them. (laughs) And so you Mm -hmm. kind of have to keep cool, calm and collected in the moment. But then hopefully if you're doing, if you're like aware of what's going on in your own heart and mind, like giving yourself time later to like react and have your feelings and have someone that you can talk to about it and all that sort of thing. So that's kind of where it came from. But and in the research, they don't always lump ministers into the law enforcement first responder military group. But I always do because, yeah, it's very similar. Um, They're addressing a lot of the physical needs. Ministers address a lot of the spiritual needs, but it's in the same traumatic situation. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. Um, so kind of like going on, um, like the next questions 
is about like depression and like just thinking about like if you if you're experiencing all this vicarious trauma like I could and I could imagine like that could be one of the contributors for depression but like so we know that depression is pretty prevalent in like our society at large and like Christians church members pastors aren't immune can you explain a little bit about what depression is and what causes it um including like common signs or something. Yeah. So I have my DSM handy, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is what any mental health provider who does diagnosing, all the diagnoses are in this book. It's like the Bible of diagnoses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) So the two main symptoms of depression are a sad or depressed mood or and loss of interest in doing things that you used to really enjoy so that's Mm -hmm. like everybody right like everyone has had that experience where they're like oh I don't really feel like doing that anymore Mm -hmm. or I'm really sad and bummed out and tired so just because you have one of those two symptoms doesn't mean that you have depression you have to have at least five of the uh, extra symptoms that go Mm. along with it. Plus it has to be clinically significant and like it's impairing your social functioning, your job functioning, your relationship functioning, your education functioning if you're in school. Um, So we throw like the word depression around a lot because a lot of people feel depressed, but that's not the same as having depression. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So um, some of the extra symptoms are like weight disturbances, whether you gain or lose weight um, because your appetite's just like um, affected. Same with sleeping disturbance. You might sleep more than normal or less than normal. Um, You feel um, kind of like foggy where like your motor skills are slower and you're like I just can't like get my body going like I got no momentum (laughs) and so feeling sluggish uh fatigue feelings of worthlessness or guilt Um, and that's like nearly every day that you have to feel that way in order to have like for that to count as one of these diagnosable symptoms um Diminished ability to think or concentrate, indecisiveness nearly every day, um, and then recurring thoughts of death. Um, I said that really dramatic. Death. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we can laugh about it. Yes, me too. It's a coping mechanism being able to laugh. So it's okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, so. Symptoms are clinically significant because they cause impairment in social, relational, occupational, or educational functioning. And it's not like the, the symptoms aren't because of a medication you're taking or an illness you have or because there was a significant loss or death um, in your life. So there's a lot of things that they're like, yes, it is, unless it's not. <laughs> like If it's yeah. grief, mm-hmm. that's not the same as having right. depression. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of different qualifiers and just reading down like the list does not, isn't like, if you can check off a lot of those things, it doesn't mean you have depression. You need to like go talk to your doctor or your therapist or something. So we're like not diagnosing on this podcast. Is what I'm exactly. Talking. No, thank you for <laughs> saying diagnose. That. <laughs> um, talk to somebody if you need to, but those are some symptoms of what depression is. And um, as far as causes, this might, jump to a different question at some point so we can oh, go ahead put back and forth a little probably but if we're thinking about the spiritual emotional and physical there are causes for depression in all three of those areas mm-hmm. so with physical you might just have run yourself so ragged that you just don't, you aren't interested in doing you. This is where compassion fatigue kind of comes in. Like you just don't have any more care left for other people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just need someone to not need me. I need no one to, no one ask me any questions. No one require anything of me. <laughs> like 
these stuff. So the physical stuff is like when it's related to your body. So you might have a chemical imbalance in your brain where you're not producing the right hormones to help you not feel depressed. So there are physical causes in that regard. Um, Another physical cause could be, um, I just lost the word, seasonal affective disorder, like not getting enough sunlight. So that's a physical thing. It's not that you have this heart problem or a spiritual problem. It's just you need some vitamin D. You need to get out in the sun. Um, So some some of the causes might be more on the physical side. Some are emotional because we're experiencing something like a breakup or a loss or something like that might not be enough to get a diagnosis of depression, but it's, you're still dealing with depressed feelings and symptoms. So when I talk to my clients about depression versus anxiety, when we're talking in an emotional sense, depression is a lot about the past. I have lots of regret. What a shoulda, coulda. If only, if only, if only. And anxiety is a lot about the future. So Mm. what if, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? When am I going to figure this out? When's this going to happen? And so it's a lot of future-oriented questions. So depression is about the past, future is about, or anxiety is about the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it comes to spiritual things, sometimes there's like a spiritual oppressiveness that causes depression Hmm. so it's more of a spiritual warfare thing where you're experiencing discouragement or bitterness or disappointment and you're having trouble identifying things that give you hope or remembering that our hope is found in christ and Hmm. so the causes can be in all three domains or one more than the other Mm-hmm. That's really good. I have never really thought about depression and anxiety that way. What you said about the past mm-hmm. versus the future. I actually think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, that piece of information. And thank you for kind of showing that it can be in those three categories. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes in the church, I've heard people say to people who are truly experiencing depression that maybe you're not praying enough yeah, or have you read your Bible or have you done all of these kind of more religious check off list type of situations um, when that might not be like, that might not be the answer people, right. you know? Right. Um, it's not that it's not the answer. It's just not a right. whole answer yes. for a whole person. We need to address all three areas, not just spiritual. Yes. I think that's really helpful. Well, so that kind of um, makes me think about our ne- our question number four, yes. which is about if, so if someone listening is experiencing depression or think that they might be like what resources or helpful information, I know you already mentioned like go talk to somebody mm-hmm. like a professional. Mm-hmm. Are there other places or things they could look at? So um, there, I would encourage you to know what resources are available in your area for you and also for your parishioners, like your congregation members, because they're going to need you for the spiritual stuff, but you're not every pastor is trained in mental health issues. Therefore, they need someone who is trained in mental health issues to address those areas. And it's okay for pastors to refer people yeah, somewhere other than themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the best way or the way you're going to be the most comfortable doing that is by knowing who is in your area, the organizations that offer counseling or meeting different therapists in your area. So you can build a relationship and feel good about referring someone to them because you've kind of vetted them yourself. I'd also say that Um, A lot of people's jobs have EAP programs, employee assistant programs, which offer counseling at a really discounted or free rate. So you can always encourage someone to look to their EAP if their job has one like that. Um, And like psychologytoday.com, 
you can search by zip code for a counselor and by insurance, gender, faith, specific topics. Like if you want someone who specifically works with anxiety, you can select anxiety and it'll show all the therapists in your area who work with that. Um, as it would, I feel like as an individual, so I'm a therapist and I'm also a Christian Mm -hmm. and I also have a therapist. I have my pastors, you know, like they, that's one side. I have a therapist that helps me with just like life in general and things like that. Yeah. And a lot of people will be like, well, I can't go to a therapist unless they're a Christian because I need them to align with my beliefs, which is fair. But also if you have a pastor who can help you with the spiritual stuff, then go ahead and let someone who's trained in the mental health field help you with the emotional stuff. Just like you might not necessarily need your doctor to be a Christian, to go see them for your yearly physical, or um, if you like need an oncologist, right. one of the criteria isn't always going to be that they need to be a Christian in order to be your oncologist. Yeah. That's a different skill set. It's different knowledge. Same with therapists. So as long as you have someone who can give you that spiritual guidance, I would say it, if it's within your price range and within your geographic location and they're like qualified educationally, then okay, go for it. Like don't let that be a barrier or an excuse not to go seek help. Um, yeah. That maybe didn't answer your question. Um, so no yeah that's yeah because like that's a resource right Right. finding out what are the resources and Mm -hmm. like finding people that you can talk to yeah yeah I think especially with depression it's a very isolating uh place to be because you're it feels like you're losing options so it's kind of like a problem solving issue. Like I can't figure out a way out of this option and I don't think anyone's going to help me. And I don't think there's any way that this is ever going to change and all that sort of thing. So your world gets very, very small, which is even more depressing because then you don't have that social support that you need. So mm. when you are struggling, like make sure you're reaching out to someone, even if they're not the professional reaching out gets it the ball going in that direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got too excited. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, I think this would be a good, I don't know, something that was on my mind as you were talking. One of the huge blessings that we have as officers specifically in the Salvation Army is that we can go to a counselor. Like that is an option for us. And it is an option um, that we don't need to pay for. Like it is covered by, um, by our territory or whatever. I have seen a counselor every appointment that I have been in Um, before I was commissioned, I found where a counselor was in the place as soon as I found out where I was going. Okay. Okay. I had the plan before commissioning to do this, but when I found out where I was going specifically, even before I got there, set up an appointment with a counselor. Um, that is part of my self-care plan. And I think maybe we're doing a little better when it comes to you know, this thought that there's like the shame in going to, to seek help like that. Uh, but I still think that it's still, it's there. And a lot of times, you know, I've, I even know of people in my life who have said, I want to see a counselor, but they just haven't gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let this just be a little plug for, for that. Like that is available to us as pastors, officers in the Salvation Army, um, and it has been one of the best things that I have done for myself. Um, so That's I just so want to- awesome. And it's not like, a you got to go and people are going to judge you for what you're telling them as far as like from a therapist perspective, mm-hmm. like 
my clients can't really surprise me too much anymore. Mm -hmm. And also like, I'm not trying to tell them what to do with their lives. The goal of, of going, the goal of the therapist is not to give you advice. Right. So any therapist worth their salt is not going to tell you what to do. Right. Which is a lot of reason why people go to therapy because they want someone to tell them what to do Mm. and no, like you need to figure out what you need and what works for you and what you feel God is telling you to do, which is why it doesn't matter what I think you should do, Mm. but I'm going to listen to you and hold space for you to like verbally process and get it out. And you don't have to worry about like, if you're going to say the wrong thing and hurt my feelings because I'm your congregation member or you're going to, I'm not going to judge you because you're a pastor or whatever. So it's a way to like take yourself out of that leadership role for a minute and have space to just be like, okay, I need someone to listen to me. Right. I listen to a lot of people and as ministers, you do that. You listen to a lot of people and this Mm -hmm. is an opportunity for you to have someone who listens to you. You don't have to have like a mental breakdown in order to justify going to a therapist. If it's free and available to you, just do it and let someone listen to you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think going along with that, um, do you have any tips when it comes to mental health and ministry? Yes. I'm looking at my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I also have my eye on the clock. So I'll try and be quick with this description. Um, Something that you can look up, there's a YouTube video called Understanding the Drama Triangle versus Presence. It's on YouTube. It's a little animated video. And I'm going to, I don't know where you went. (laughs) I lost you. (laughs) There it is. Okay. Um, So the Drama Triangle is a way that people interact with each other that's sort of dysfunctional. And by sort of, I mean, really, it's really dysfunctional, but we'll talk about it. It sounds exciting. (laughs) So it was kind of formulated by Dr. Cartman. So give credit where credit is due. And there's three basic roles in this situation. They're all based in victim mentalities. Hmm. So you've got a bully who is a victim because the world is mean. And so they're going to get you before you get them. So they're a bully. Then there's a victim who has the victim mentality of the world is mean and out to get me. And I can't do anything for myself. Woe is me. I need help. I need help. I need help. I can't do anything for myself. I need a rescuer. And that's the third role. The rescuer comes in as like, and is a victim and that I, if I, don't have anyone who needs me, then I have to look at my own stuff and that's not cool. So as long as someone needs me, I'm good. Mm -hmm. So they're always going to be looking for a victim, not because they're trying to hurt them, but because they're trying to avoid their own stuff. So I'm not okay, but I know how you can be okay. So let me help you because you need me and you're not going to be okay if, if I don't help you. So you can see how this would be a really easy trap to get into in ministry. And a lot of people in ministry probably gravitate toward this rescuer mindset. Hmm. I can say like, I can help you. I'm, I'm not doing my job if I'm not helping somebody. And so anyways, I would really encourage you to look up the whole thing because there's, there's tons of YouTube videos on it. Um, And what needs to happen is there needs to be a shift in all of those roles. You get drawn into the drama triangle through guilt and shame. So the victim would say, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you helping me? This person is mean to me. Why aren't you helping me? And so the rescuer is like, oh, I feel guilty. I feel bad that I'm not helping them. So now I got to help them. And that's how you get sucked in to the drama triangle. You get out of the drama triangle. I haven't figured out a great way to describe it. So bear with me because it takes a minute to get it out. Mm-hmm. You get out of the drama triangle by being willing to be viewed as the bully. You're not being the bully. You're just telling people no 
and you're not allowing them to guilt and shame you into doing what you don't feel you should be doing. So being willing to be viewed as a bully, the victim's going to think you're being mean to them because you're telling them no. Right. You're not being mean. You're just having boundaries. Right. If you don't have boundaries, you get sucked in every time because you can't say no. And so it's not that we don't want to help people. The goal isn't to not be a rescuer. The goal is to be a coach, not a rescuer. So you say, hey, I've got 10 minutes. Let me, let me hear it. What do you want? What do you need? What, how can I help you? And you let them tell you what they need. You, don't, you might have like 10 things you think they need, but you got to let them tell you what they need. And then you work out a plan to say, okay, you, these are actually things that you can do. So I'm not going to do anything for a client that they can do for themselves because that puts me in their rescuer role instead of a coaching role. And it takes power away from them because they continue to feel helpless. No, you can actually do these three, these three things. So you go do those. And I know this stuff is stuff you don't really, you can't really do. Like I have access to resources or services or whatever. I can get you connected to those. So I'll do that but you got to do these things because you actually can do that. So you do that. I'll do this and we'll go from there. We got to put a lot more back on the people that we serve sometimes because we sometimes get stuck in thinking that they are actually helpless. We kind of believe it with them and they're not. So I'm going to, you're going to do those things. I'm going to do this part. We've got this agreement going. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, then I can't help you. Like, I'm, I'm not doing the things for you that you can do for yourself. So um, if you can't, if you aren't going to hold up your end of the bargain, then I'm, we're not going to continue on with this. You're going to have to figure it out yourself because hmm. you can do it. I believe in you. So, yeah. um, so as far as tips go for being in ministry. Be a coach and not a rescuer. Mm-hmm. Be a connector. So like, oh, I don't act like I don't have time to do this for you right now, but this person over here, that's what they do for a living. So how about you talk to them? I bet they would be a great resource for you. And so you make these connections with people. I can't help you with shelter. I don't actually own a shelter. But I do know people who do. This is, again, where having knowing the resources in your community is a really important thing. Because then you can be a connector and you can coach without having to do everything for that person. Hmm. Um, also, kind of switching gears, a lot of times people in ministry are very empathetic. There's also, if we're talking like the spiritual side of things, um, we've got like intercessors and people who have a really like discerning spirit. And that can feel very heavy sometimes because you're like feeling all the things that everybody else is feeling. And so sometimes you can feel like you're looking at it from a very low place. And um, there's a book by Benny Johnson called The Happy Intercessor. Mm -hmm. And it was a game changer for me as a Christian and as a therapist, because she talks about how we're actually seated in the heavenly places with God. And so if you can sit next, you can sit next to him and be like, okay, we're, we're experiencing all of these things. What do you think? And it's from like this higher view rather than this like low and helpless view. Um, so that was a really huge deal to me and also learning that their feelings aren't my feelings. So you got to figure out ways to kind of shed that after you have a a really heavy conversation with somebody or you've been in the hospital visiting somebody for a long time. Their feelings, you might've taken them on because we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, we take that on, we join them there, but you got to figure out a way to like, take step away from that when you go home. So sometimes between clients, I'll go wash my hands in the bathroom and be like, okay, I'm like washing their stuff off me now. Or I have this gas station that's like halfway from work between work and home. And so I'm like, okay, I have until that gas station to think about work stuff. 
And then once I hit that gas station, no more, no more work thinking. I got to like get my brain in the game for what I got to do at home or the friend I'm going to go see for dinner or whatever. And so like putting those little things in place to help you be like, okay, these aren't my feelings. Those were their feelings. These are mine. So I'm going to own mine. I'm going to deal with mine, whether it's journaling or meditation or going for a walk or exercising or talking to a friend, whatever it is. Like I'm going to own my stuff, but I'm going to like let theirs kind of fall away. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are like not taking it on in the first place in some regards by not being a rescuer. And when you are interceding or when you are feeling that empathy, that's great for that time, but learn to separate from that when you go home. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful. Man. <laughs> yeah, I I'm think, just, like, I think about that emotion, like taking on other people's emotion is so easy mm -hmm. for me. Like, mm -hmm. but it is very draining too. Um, and then like when I take it on and like what you're ta describing of like the, the maybe a positive thing to do is like at a certain point, release it and like acknowledge, mm -hmm. Hey, this was their feeling. I don't have to feel the same way. That's not like surrender to yeah. the Lord. Like, okay, God, like that's, you could take it from here. Like I did what you mm -hmm. have put me in a position to do at that time. And now I'm going home. And so like, I just have to trust you to take care of them when they leave my office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because like I think so like one of my um things that I want to do this year is like praying for people mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. and like um so I like start a journal I've got like this little journal and then I have I asked my congregation members like hey if you want prayer every day of this year like write your name here and then I've been spending time like with the journal, but I think that's actually really helpful for me in a sense of like, um, it gives me a focus. So it's like, okay, I know I've prayed for them. I know I've thought about them. I care about them. Like if there's something that comes up while I'm praying that I can handle, you know, I can do mm -hmm. it. But other than that, like, I'm going to keep focusing on what I need to focus on and not like let all these cares, right. like work around and um, right like buzz around my head all 24 or 7 right. like <laughs> yeah exactly that's good yeah the last question that we have for you Roxanne um and this is I think this is a question we ask a lot in all the different themes I think and it kind of brings us back to the point of our podcast right the barracks um we, we need each other, you know, we are in this together. And, and so the question is, how can we journey alongside others who are experiencing any type of mental illness? Can you give us some practical tips to take away? Yeah. So going back to the drama triangle a little bit, like, keeping in mind, like we're coaching people, we're not rescuing them. They already have a savior. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus is already the one taking that job. So yeah. I don't need to take on the burden of fixing all of their life's trouble. I just need to walk alongside them. So, mm -hmm. um, you can address that in all three ways, right? Like they might need some biblical encouragement. Maybe they need you to send them scripture. But maybe that's not what the issue is for them. Maybe they don't need more faith. Maybe they need personal connection. Like depression is really isolating, like we've said. And so maybe they need someone to go to coffee with them and let them talk about what's going on. And you just listen and you nod and you're like, yeah, man, that would be really hard. I can see why you would be struggling with that. And just like engage with them on that emotional relational level. Or maybe they need like a break from the emotional stuff and be like, hey, come on a walk with me. Like, let's go for like, let's literally go for a walk. Get out of your house. Get off the couch. Come on. We're going for a walk. And so um, you can kind of engage them in all three of those ways. Also, there are some 
um, websites and trainings and stuff that can be helpful just like corporately as Salvation Army staff, pastors, corps, soldiers. I don't know. I'm sorry. All of the above. <laughs> I don't know. The yeah. Very well. That was good. Um, there are actually two different online training opportunities for suicide um, assessment and like risk assessment. So it's not that you're the ones trying to cure them of their suicidal thoughts, but these are trainings to help you know what questions to ask and then what to do if they actually say, um, actually, yes, I am struggling with those thoughts or I do want to take my life. So Mm -hmm. one is called the QPR Institute. Their training is, I think, like $30 if you do it individually, and then they have discounted rates if you do it as a group, Um, and it's very simple and easy to do. The other one is um, you would go to cssrs.columbia.edu, which is a whole big thing. It's the Columbia Lighthouse Project, and they have their training is free. Um, and they, but they've got like role-playing scenarios in there to where you can see how like the questions they ask and how they're helpful. Um, and those are helpful for anyone who's in the ministry profession because you're gonna like, you're the ones that people go to when they're in distress, right? Right. So like a lot of people get nervous about asking, Hey, are you thinking about killing yourself? Because they don't want to like put that question or like put that thought in their mind, but chances are it's already there. So, and they would probably be relieved to not have to be the one to say it out loud or to bring it up mm-hmm. first. So, the more comfortable you are with knowing some questions to ask, and then again knowing what resources are available in your area, then it feels easier to respond in that situation because you actually are informed beforehand. So those two trainings are both really good. One's free, one's not. I would say the QPR one, which is the one that's $30, it's probably a little more simple in the format, um, but it does cost money. The other one is maybe a little bit more complicated, but it's free. And they're both good. They're both equally good. So um, they're not just for mental health professionals. They're for law enforcement, pastors, social workers, just community people like teachers um, who are in a school and interacting with kids all the time. So it's, you don't have to be a mental health professional to do that. Um, It's just a few easy questions to kind of get your brain around what you're looking for. Like, is this actually an imminent danger right now? Or is this kind of like, okay, we're not like in physical danger at the moment, but we actually do need to get some resources to this person. So it helps you kind of assess the level of risk there. Um, So those would be two that I would recommend. And then another one is called Mental Health First Aid. And you can look that up and type in your zip code for trainings in your area. It's a free training. I think it's like four hours, but it's in person. The other two are online. This one's an in-person training. And it talks to, it talks about how like depression, anxiety, substance abuse issues, and a few other things. It's like, going to a first aid class only for mental health issues. So if we're at church and someone starts having a panic attack, like, what do we do? (laughs) Like, who do we call? Like, what's going on? So those are three really great, like fairly inexpensive trainings that you as staff could do. That would be probably very beneficial and helpful. And just giving you more, the more you understand things, the less scary they are. Mm. So, um, it can be helpful in those ways. Um, walking alongside people. Um, I would say the other thing I would want to add to the idea of depression being, uh, past oriented and anxiety being future oriented. Um, what kind of causes those negative thought patterns in either direction, whether it's past or future is not like we have this great imagination, right? Like if only I had done this, then our situation would be totally different. My life would be different and all this stuff. Or, you know, if, what if this happens, then this is going to break and that's going to die. And, you know, like we have these great imaginations 
and we often use them to freak ourselves out because we're imagining all the bad things, Mm. whether it's past or future. And so when we're doing that, it's because we're not imagining the past or the future with God in it. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so wow. if you're worried about the future and you're feeling anxious about things that you don't know and you can't control, like there is someone, you know, who does like, who mm-hmm. does control all that, who does know if you're thinking about mm-hmm. the past and you like are filled with regret, he's God there too. Like he's outside of time. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't wasted. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that he's like, ah. Oh, she really messed that one up. Or, man, I really thought he would have responded to that differently. I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> you know, like, right. It's like he's in all of it. Hmm. So keeping that in mind can really help relieve some of that pressure, even when we're talking about other people. So, like, they might really be struggling, but like, God loves them too. <laughs> and so. Yeah. He can also help in their situation, just like he's helped in your situation in the past. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that was really that good. That makes a lot of sense. That's like, that's that Bible verse. Oh, like the, you pass through the waters, you won't be drowned. Right. right. Go through the fire, you won't be burned. Exactly. That whole, that thing, like making, like, uh, making it more concrete of what does that mean? Like, oh, Yeah. That's so good. Yes. Wow. That is a lot of stuff that is really good. I feel like I've learned and I'm sure um, those of you who are listening have learned. And Roxanne, I'm going to ask you if you can just maybe email me would be the best. um, All of the resources that you talked about and then we can do a post that kind of gives all of those resources right there on our social media. That way we all have them. Um, but just in wrapping up, you know, this is, this is important. Like these things are important. You matter. Um, all of those listening, all of us here (laughs) recording this podcast, we matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you matter a lot. Yeah, we matter a lot. And God cares about us holistically and it can be so easy to just not take care of ourselves and that goes nowhere good mm-hmm. um so just referencing the episode we did with karen um we talked about masks and it's really easy for us you know we'll just talk about the salvation army to put on an appearance and to put on that uniform and to put on the smile and just do the thing mm-hmm. you know without letting anyone in without mm-hmm. being vulnerable or real And that is to your detriment and to our detriment as a body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hope that we can take just this wisdom and really put it into practice and know that, you know what, like, if if you feel like no one else has your back, like, contact one of us. (laughs) Like, we can um, not be the rescuer, right? But we can be the coach and say, hey, like, I want to encourage you. Um, and I'll do that part. Um, but we matter and we matter together. So, um, we're thank you, Roxanne. Team. Huh? I said, we're on your team. We're on your team. We <laughs> are. Thank you, Roxanne, for doing this. This was yeah, so thank good. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so Yeah, fun. this, it was great. It was a blessing. And, um, so uh, yeah, we're just glad. We're grateful for you. So thank you all for listening. <laughs> I wish this is the moments where I wish like you could actually see the video um, of what's happening. Um, <laughs> curious. Um, but we appreciate you all that are listening and um, we'll look forward to the next time. Yeah. Okay. Bye everybody. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.